This is David Casillo, and welcome to the Scoring at Home podcast. On today's episode, we'll take a look at how the COVID-19 pandemic impacted the future of sports. I'll be joined by Bill Shea of The Athletic, as well as Molly Yannity of Quinnipiac University. Together, we will all talk about how sports have been affected through the pandemic in the areas such as fan experience, athlete activism, as well as technology. Thanks for joining, and let's get started. listen to the Scoring at Home podcast. For those of you who haven't tuned in before, I'm your host, David Casillo. And on the Scoring at Home podcast, we take a look at some of the major issues in sports by talking with sports media members, as well as sports academic scholars. In today's episode, I really wanted to focus on what I feel is one of the most important issues right now. And that's how the COVID-19 pandemic is going to influence the long-term outlook on sports. In the last year, there's been a lot of change to how sports have looked. Obviously, there's been no fans or limited fans in a lot of these arenas and stadiums, but there's also been changes in how the sports media performs their job, how the technology is used to be able to disseminate a product to the audience, as well as some of the structure to these leagues, such as the formatting of schedule, travel, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot to tackle, and I'm really happy today to have some really good guests to do that tackling. Okay, we are now joined by Bill Shea, who's a staff writer for The Athletic, who covers topics related to the business of sports. And for the last 25 years, he's been based in Cleveland and Detroit, formerly working at Crane's Detroit Business. And we're also joined by Dr. Molly Yannity, who's an associate professor at Quinnipiac University, where she studies sports media. And she actually also uh, works for The Athletic in her spare time uh, covering the WNBA and is a former sports reporter in many places, but most notably the Seattle Post Intelligencer. So thank you, Bill and Molly, for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for, Thanks having, for us. having us. We'll jump in. You know, there's really a lot to talk about. I feel like this last year has been a turning point for so much, particularly in the United States. And one of those areas is sport. And that's why you're both here today. Bill, we'll start with you, but I'll pose the same question to Molly in a second. We'll start generally from no fans, the schedule changes to rule experimentation. Sports have looked very different in the past year. What's one change that you think is here to stay, Bill? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, and but part of me wants to say it's, it's too soon to say, um, but uh, I, I've been doing a lot of writing lately on uh, <clears throat> live sports TV consumption um, and uh, sort of how the past 12 months dragged sports into some of the trends that um, the rest of television was already seeing. Um, and I, I think that may be here to stay um, just, you know, as, as how people consume live sports has changed so much, especially, you know, in the last five, six years with streaming and we've seen um, just the explosion of all of the, you know, such, you know, HBO max and Paramount plus, you know, just there's so many different things and, and so many things are all over the place that the, the days of getting a hundred million people watching linear television for the Super Bowl might be over with. Um, I, I think we may still get that many people watching, um, but the eyeballs are going to be in different places. It's not going to just be on broadcast TV anymore. Um, you know, it, it's a trend I'm, I'm watching deeply, uh, but I think it's, 
it's here to set here to stay. Um, you know, we've got March Madness, we've got the Final Four coming up, um, we've got the Masters coming up, and those are going to be, uh, you know, for me, sort of canaries in the coal mine. On are we going to get back towards um, you know, pre-pandemic numbers, or is there a new normal we sort of have to recalibrate around, you know, sports, uh, sports television? And that's such an important topic because it provides so much of the money that fuels um, collegiate and professional sports. Molly, as I said, same question to you, a change in sports caused by the pandemic that you think is here to stay? Um, I think it is the, the continuous, the continuing whittling away of access for sports journalists. Um, we've seen uh, uh, you know, all the interviewing and ev everything go to um, onto Zoom. Um, you know, when I got out of covering, I covered college football for six years, I believe. Um, and I, I saw the, the access to athletes and coaches going away then. And, and this is just kind of the nail in that coffin, I think. Um, I don't know if we are ever going to be, and, you know, I think that I'd like to think, oh, Hey, yeah, we're just back here. We're back in the clubhouse. You know, everything's great. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen like that. You know, uh, even before when stadiums and arenas are being rebuilt, media seats aren't on the floor anymore. And these, you know, great places that they're in the nosebleeds and those were reserved for the very high end ticket. Um, well, this last year, everyone's covered games from home. Um, so I, I just see the, uh, the, the whittling away of the access when it comes to um, uh, sports journalism. And uh, I don't like that very much. <laughs> Both uh, you and I are former sports journalists. Bill is a current sports journalist. So um, yeah, that's, it's not a good thing to hear. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to touch on that eventually. So I want to get Bill's opinion as well. You have exactly what you were talking about. And then even beforehand, you saw so much get out of the journalist control due to social media where athletes can control their own narrative. Teams can control their own narrative and communicate with people. Bill, do you see, have similar concerns about the future of sports media in terms of access and the ability to cover games like we used to? Yeah, it, absolutely. Um, I, I did, as Molly pointed out, this has been going on a while. The teams and leagues want to control the narrative, and one way, an easy way to do that is limiting access. Um, sports media doesn't have all that much power to fight back, although it should, since sports media pays for these leagues and things to exist. Um, it doesn't flex is, its muscle in the ways that it should. You know, I, I think there's <clears throat> there's still a, a split between when people say media, you know, I'm, I'm old school. I think of broadcast media and then I think of the press being the people that type at keyboards um, that used to be, you know, ink on dead trees a long time ago. Um, it, 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 Broadcast media and print media, some people are really good in one, not so much the other. I mean, it, that's a sort of a, a family squabble within in media. But I, I think, you know, in, in the corporate world, which includes sports, the ability to put content out and messaging out directly to consumers with not just TV commercials, it costs a lot of money, but, you know, on, on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, directly through blo blogs and all that, all that sort of stuff allows teams and leagues 
um, you know, to, to put whatever message they want out. And with the pandemic and limiting people to Zoom calls and, you know, like, oh, I'm so, sorry, no Zoom today. Oh, so-and-so is not interested in getting out. Well, we couldn't find so-and-so to get on the call. Um, you know, the excuses get easier. Um, you know, we, the quality of journalism is always better when you have free access to players. And for a long, long time um, that occurred in journalism, I'm, I'm here in Detroit and I think about the old AC Lindell bar downtown, um, which is where like Billy Martin, uh, when he was a manager and players and fans and reporters hung out after games. Um, and Billy Martin actually ended up punching out one of his own players behind the bar back in the sixties or seventies. Um, that era is gone. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to go to a bar in Queens and hang out with Frankie Lindor anytime soon. It's just, you know, as, as they have become very well compensated celebrities as the people that own the teams have, you know, gone from successful businessmen to just like global tycoons. And these businesses are worth billions of dollars. You know, they feel the need to, to freeze people out and control the messaging. And this is, you know, this pandemic has been an easy excuse to, to cut off further access. And I think that will, can, they will try to continue to, to do that, whether they can successfully after mask mandates and things like that end, we shall see. It's incumbent, I think, on sports media to push back and say, no, we need to be in the clubhouse. We need to be in the locker room. We need to talk to people one-on-one. Um, otherwise the public's not going to get the, the full and true and the best stories. And you wonder, I mean, to, to both of your points, you wonder even if that pushback is going to happen from the media organizations, especially the ones with budget concerns based on, they don't have to travel now. Um, and you, you don't have those expenses, especially for, for covering teams on the road. So it is, I mean, that's really, fans start to trickle back in. You see start these seasons, the baseball season starting that looks a little more normal, but we don't quite know yet what sports media will look like. Molly, to you for a second, because I think this kind of ties in with the amount of people within the athlete circle. But one of the things that COVID-19 has has showed us is that athletes are at particular risk to things like this due to close contact and travel. Do you see any sort of permanent changes to the structure in the system that might mitigate this risk and try to keep athletes safer? Or do you think this is now just comes with the territory of the job? Keep athletes safer in the, in the same week that they've added a game to the NFL schedule, you asked? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, if it's at the expense of profit, the answer to that is no. I, I, I don't. I don't see, um, you know, I mean, there's a going to be a full stadium in Texas today. You know, I, 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 I'm continual, continuously blown away that, um, that we just keep coming back here. You know, I, I, I don't see, um, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily say, I don't see us doing the right thing over and over when it comes to athletes' health and safety. Um, we will extract as much profit as we can get from them. When I say we, obviously, I mean the owners and and fans go along with the owner's narrative most of the time. Um, the mainstream media, to an extent, you know, is the mouthpiece of the, the ownership to an extent. I mean, you know, I, I don't mean that as a blanket statement, but um, no, I, I, I don't see us doing anything much better. I mean, I'm, you know, you're already seeing the, oh, hey, we're going to baseball back to normal. We're going to, we're going to be traveling. We're going to be, you know, if, if 
if, if players are vaccinated, they can have their families on the road and things like that. Well, okay, if your family's on the road, um, but your teammate, one of your teammates isn't vaccinated, I mean, what does that, you know, that leaves that person exposed or they're just, you know, there's always gonna be the, the balance of, of freedom and, and safety, but I, I just don't see the, uh, unless there's just some ridiculous push by the different players associations, I, I don't see that happen. Bill, Molly brought up the fans coming back and I definitely wanted to touch on that and wanted to pose this to you. She referenced that, you know, you're going to see 100% attendance in uh, places like Texas. Let's say not necessarily right now, but let's fast forward a year from now. Do you envision everything back to normal in terms of packed stadiums, full attendance, no restrictions, assuming everything progresses with the virus and the vaccine in a positive manner? Or do you think there'll still be changes to the, to the game experience for fans? Uh, no, I, I don't think we'll be back to normal in a year. Um, you know, right, right now at Comerica Park, there's 8,200 fans. That was the limit that they could get in under the, the current health health rules. Um, and they sold that out. Um, in Michigan right now has the, the most active cases. It's an absolute hotspot here right now. Um, you know, the vaccines are going well. Um, yeah, I got my first last weekend. Um, thank God. Um, but it's, 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 it's not over with. I know people want to think that it's over with, but it's not. Um, and it will take, I would guess, at least another year to 18 months to get to the point where there's a broad like, okay, we don't need masks anymore. We have a sizable portion of the population that believes absolutely insane, dangerous things and are refusing to get vaccinated. Um, you know, it, here, here in Michigan, that was how a bunch of us early on were able to get vaccines. It's like, oh, you've got to go to a red county because people don't want to get it there. So you can go to Walgreens or, or you know, wherever that's has them available. And I had friends and family doing that. They were traveling, you know, a couple hours to conservative counties because there's stacks of vaccines and people are like, oh no, that's crazy. That's a Bill Gates microchip on that. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it's not necessarily anything about this particular virus and pandemic that will slow our progress to a return to normalcy. It's the human beings involved and our absolutely broken media ecosystem that feeds into these things. Um, it, it is our own fault that we got to this point um, in the United States and it will be our own collective fault that in a year from now, we do not have full stadiums. I mean, and there are gonna be people who never go back to full events, you know, concerts, games ever again. Um, you know, I suspect COVID will always be with us um, to some degrees. It may become like the seasonal flu um, where it affects, you know, certain segments of the population and, you know, goes away, comes back um, and it will frighten a lot of people. Um, I suspect in a year, most teams will and leagues will have opened up their arenas and stadiums again. Um, how many people choose to come back remains to be seen. Um, but I would guess it would be closer to summer two years from now before we're at a place with the vaccinations and the population um, and the health control measures that we're seeing something closer to, you know, 2019. Um, you know, and, and like you had said before, you know, live sports attendance wasn't exactly fully robust before this all happened. You know, it, com it comes back to 
do I want to spend a thousand bucks to take me and my kids to a game in crappy Detroit weather? Or do we just want to go downstairs and watch it on my 8,000 square foot 14K TV that I paid a million dollars for? Um, you know, and I, the popcorn is four bucks of Oral Redenbacher versus 20 bucks for, you know, cold popcorn at the stadium. You know, that's it's that the home experience. Um, but I, you know, I, I love going to the occasional games. I may go back at some point um you know to outdoor events myself i'm you know i i am glad i'm not in press boxes anymore i don't miss that um at all i I have colleagues that i know probably don't miss and some that do do miss that but i think it's going to take at least a couple of years before people feel comfortable enough and that we're we're in a true actual physically safe era that we can that we can do that and it, it, it but it really comes down to vaccinations and people getting the jab and not being crazy about it yeah you know, i was just thinking in in the idea of going back to normal too and and being physically there you know i think i think something that that was good that came out of not being there not being normal was the athletes really um taking on you know taking back their activism um, and, and I don't think that that's something we're going to see go away either. Um, I think it's going, we're going to, it's going to be a really interesting push over this next year for ownership to try to, to quote unquote, regain control. Um, but I, I don't see that happening. And I think that with people in the, in the coming back to the stadiums, um, there will be a, a, a physical reaction to certain athletes and and things like that and i'm i for one am really curious to see how some of that plays out um you know just thinking of some of the more um controversial athletes it's crazy to actually think of lebron james as a controversial athlete right but i'm really i'm excited to see how a a full crowd of people and not just you know spot crowd but how a full crowd really responds to him again or to the t-shirts or, you know, they're not kneeling nearly as much anymore, but just things, you know, things like that. I, I'm, I'm anxious to see the, um, anxious and excited both at the same time to see how there is that, that real visceral reaction in person to some of the stuff that's going on. Yeah. I, I, I was feeling the, the same thing. One of those, when we were talking about what are things here to stay, I am curious if that visual act of, activism will continue. I mean, we have incredibly powerful celebrity athletes like LeBron and, and uh, Megan Rapinoe and others that are bigger than their sport. Um, and, and they powerfully use their platforms for messaging that, you know, especially, you know, millennials and Gen Z respond to and polling has showed they like that. Um, they want to hear those things from athletes and, and leagues and sports and things like that. How will that continue when we have full fans in the stands? How will the media, the you know, the, the broadcast rights holders deal with that? Because it, it's easy to tweet out, you know, brand supportive messaging and, and things like that. And to do the B-roll, like, you know, looks backs at, at, at gender equity and racial issues in, in sports. But when all of a sudden you have 80,000 people in front of you or, or, you know, 20,000 in an arena, um, 
that's that's different. Um, the, the pressure will be on. And the stick to sports crowd is, I think, small, but very vocal. Um, I have written several times on these topics and the comment sections are always illuminating, to put it nicely, um, on how people react to that. Um, but that's one of the things I, fingers crossed, I think will continue even after we're back to whatever the new normal is and we have full stands. You know, because I think the, the issues in America have not gone away. I think we have sort of cracked things open um, the democratization of social media for athletes, for fans, everybody. We see things now in, in real time. Um, so it's not, it's not going to go away. Um, and it's been going on five or six years, five or six years now. I mean, Kaepernick, his kneeling, that was 2016. We're already in 2021. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the fault lines in American culture and society have been exposed, uh, especially under the last presidency. Um, that's that's not going away. These these things are out fresh in the open, um, and I think that will continue in sports. And the networks will be under real pressure. Um, and I'm interested to see how they and the the team owners and things. You know, you put your money where your mouth is. Well, will you continue to do that once you have full stadiums again? Um, so yeah, these are definitely interesting and potentially very positive times for our society. Before everything went down. I, I did cover the WNBA in the 2019 season. And, and it was really fascinating to see, you know, the WNBA is, has its own you know, niche audience, obviously, and, and some very pointed uh, um, social uh, causes. So it, it was very interesting to me to see um, the crowds respond very positively to things like LGBT Pride Day to, um, Oh, there are a couple others, and I can't remember specifically what it was. They and they actually had, you know, the um, first responders, police um, uh, appreciation day. And I'd asked the the vice president of the team that I was covering that day um, with the team of all black players. There, there was not one um, white player on the team um, at that time. What you know, what, what the athletes thought, and the vice president like went ghost white, right? Like, oh God, I didn't even. We didn't ask the players, right? But the, the players got behind it and they were like, we have our opinions. They talked with me really candidly about it. And then this next year we've seen, well, you know, in 2020, while they were in the bubble, really come out strongly. And I, I can't imagine that they would, that the response from their crowd will be any different from all the other things they've done. Um, and and I, I am really, I am super interested in seeing how that crowd specifically responds to either less activism if there's not as much or um you know they fire them up even more you know like i i just think that one's going to be really fascinating and molly just to follow up on that i know that the WNBA in particular had strong tv ratings so what do you attest that to while other leagues were maybe struggling to bring in viewers what were they able to do with the pandemic and do you think that's able to continue you know they first of all they were in their their regular season time frame you know i mean you had hockey in sort of it's at the end of where it was supposed to be in the NBA at the, you know, finishing at their beginning, like just all these weird things in, in the WNBA was where it was, where it was always. And so, you know, the, the um, NWSL came out and they were the, the first televised sports back for, and, um, and that kind of got people a little, people, and what I'm talking about, I mean, specifically fans of women's sports were excited about that and that parlayed into the WNBA. And, and I also think, and, and we will see if this continues, but the WNBA has been on a little bit of a, on, you know, it has its ebbs and flows in its 
30 year existence, but um, it, it's in, um, it's, it's, you know, it's on an ascent right now because of its personalities. And, um, and those personalities got bigger and bigger with the activism. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of a, a Brianna Taylor and I'm, I'm sorry, Brianna Stewart, goodness gracious, Brianna Stewart and the team talking about Brianna Taylor and putting it, you know, on shirts and everything. And that became part of the sports spectacle for the WNBA. I want to switch gears a little here and focus kind of just on all sports in general in terms of like changes. Uh, outside of the NFL, every sport out there pretty much made a clear attempt to lessen travel and make it more regional when possible. Do you think that is something that they will continue to try to do even post these pandemic seasons? Or do you think everything for scheduled travel is back to normal uh, once we can do it? That's a good, really good and interesting question. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. My, uh, my reflexive, reflexive instinct is that owners will always look to find ways to save money where they can, um, if they can get away with it. Um, obviously, there are many things that are governed by collective bargaining agreements and, and things like that. Um, you know, and, and you want to do things in, in good faith with your, your labor force. Um, I, I think it's going to be at least another year before we know, um, you know, if at some point in 2022, um, I mean, fingers crossed, I mean, some point this year, um, but in the future, if we get the all clear, we don't have to wear masks anymore. We're at a point where we can sort of operate like we did in the past. Um, I, I'm not sure how much pro sports leagues can really do about travel, especially, you know, there, there's so much, like I said, that's governed by labor agreements and things like that. Um, but it, the pandemic has been a good opportunity to study, like, are there smarter ways just to do things in general, um, in traveling, in like, you know, to, to, a way to minimize travel, but still get the same number of games in and, and things like that. Um, you know, I, I think it probably gave maybe the NFL some pause and like, oh, hey, if we put a team in London, um, that's a, that's a tremendous travel concern, um, you know, between the United States and, and, you know, Britain all of, all of the time. So, you know, there are ripple effects of what the pandemic has done with sports and sports travel, because it's an enormous expense. Most people don't think about it. It's an enormous expense in sports, you know, the athletic sending writers to all the games everywhere. And basically we had to, you know, obviously we had to pause that because games were not being played, but then they were, you know, just in the bubble in Orlando and, and the two hockey bubbles up in Canada, things like that. Um, but it's definitely an opportunity that I think everybody will take to look at. Um, some people may see it as an opportunity as a, you know, billionaires trying to shave off pennies here and there, others will be like, hey, you know, it's maybe it's just smarter to do it this way. And if COVID-19 is something that it's going to permanently linger on the edges of our society, yeah, we may see some some permanent changes in, in things like that. You know, if this is something that's going to keep bubbling up for years where like, oh man, the Wizards can't play tonight because three players came down or a coach is sick. Um, it's, that will be the, the new normal, um, you know, and, and less science and medicines, like not only comes up with the vaccine, you know, more vaccines, but, you know, a cure or some, something like that. Um, you know, yeah, it's, you know, but I think we're at least 12 months away from, from having a better sense of what, especially with travel, what this is going to look like. 
Molly, over to you. Only a couple of questions left here, but I wanted to start with you on this because you work at a university. There's been a significant impact with sports being cut, budgets being slashed, travel being reduced for NCAA programs. What do you think the lasting impact on the NCAA programs are here? Because of Man, the pandemic? I'm waiting for this one. I, I, I honestly, I wish, <laughs> right? In, 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 in the perfect world, I wish this was an opportunity to to bring something that has become so overinflated back down to size. You know, I mean, universities, I mean, take the athletic department out of it. Universities are struggling um, financially. Um, states, uh, state funds are being cut. Um, yeah, at private schools, enrollment is down at most places. Um, and, and administrative numbers and, and salaries have boomed. Um, and so just with that, you would think, oh, well, will bring the athletic department down to size. That's not what we're seeing. I mean, I saw um, my alma mater, Ohio University, um, is making just all these cuts, but adding esports. I mean, like esports is going to save Ohio University. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> so I, I, I really I think that we're, you know, as Bill has said a few times, like it's going to have to be a wait and see thing. I don't anticipate us doing the right thing, sadly. Um, but uh, this happening with, you know, the NCA back in the Supreme Court and back under fire for um, uh, 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 Title IX issues, you know, is this the perfect storm where there becomes a, um, you know, tear it all down and rebuild it or, um, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I just think that there, we are at a breaking point where I don't see the non- power five schools and not even all the power five schools right like i mean um i don't see how we're at a point where we are with that that is sustainable i mean you know quinnipiac university has a, a men's basketball coach that makes nearly a million dollars a year that that's not anything that makes any kind of sense in any world you know and and so where the where the top salaried coaches where that where it might make sense those salaries that are bringing up everyone else who cannot afford it, there's going to be some kind of big split where um, that's the only thing, that's the only way I see this working is if, if there's some kind of split that um, monetizes and, and, um, and professionalizes those power five kind of schools with football and, and, and men's basketball, and then possibly the, everything else sort of becomes a division three model. I mean, in my mind, that makes a lot of sense and sounds perfect, but you know, my mind does many other things that and doesn't get paid like the people who make all these crazy decisions. So <laughs> we will wait and see on that. But uh, I, I, I just have to, I have to think there's some kind of, of split coming, but um, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see, I guess. I mean, it's fun to sit and, and talk about it, but I really, I, I don't know. I, I, I think there will be a split though. It would be, it would be nice if they consulted us um, and got our opinion. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, you're up in Big Ten country. Same thing to you. Do you uh, do you see this having a, a huge impact on NCAA programs, or do you think, if anything, it just creates a bigger gap between certain schools? Uh, I, I think higher education in general, and and the you know academics and the athletic side, it's all unsustainable at this point. It is a bubble that is going 
to burst. I mean, a, a part of the the political landscape in this country is is talking about student debt because the numbers are just astounding. Um, and you know, in a free market society, if you graduate gener a whole generation that's incapable of fully participating in our commercialized society, well, you you're just you're shooting yourself in both feet with someone else's rented gun. Um, and in the case of collegiate athletics, um, you know, I, I was paying uh, semi-attention yesterday for the Supreme Court stuff, just watching on Twitter, seeing the NCAA just absolutely curb stomped by some of the justices. Um, you know, I, I think there, you know, theoretically there could be some, some changes coming there. Um, what that looks like, you know, making the right decision, you know, if all of a sudden, uh, you know, the NIL rights or, you know, you know, compensation from the universities, I mean, my fear is all of the wrong responses are, will be what happens, all the wrong decisions, you know, uh, these you know, panic, like, oh, well, it's time to cut every, you know, every other sport besides football. It just, they're just going to absolutely botch it as my fear and ruin that experience for everybody. I mean, the, the, the college football industrial complex is just absolutely absurd with you know the, the 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 salaries and just the money pouring in for the facilities and holding up this absolutely absurd facade of amateurism i mean jim harbaugh is being paid what nine million dollars a year to lose to ohio state six years in a row and the athletic campus is is nicer than what you know anything you'd see in the nfl i mean it is just i mean it's great for the the kids who are participating um but but it's such an absolutely unfair and absurd system that's going on because the labor exploitation you see every Saturday, or in the case of the the Mac, every night of the the regular week, um, in football season is is just nuts to me. Um, you know, even if you're not gonna to just you know pay them five grand, you know whatever whatever compensation would look like, just the resistance to letting them have their name, image, and likeness rights, um, so that somebody else could pay them. Everybody's like, no, no, that'll just destroy the whole system. Well, maybe the whole system should be destroyed if you know if a if Somebody on, uh, you know, Ohio University's campus down here in Athens has a full scholarship for oboe or something like that. They can sell, you know, whatever they want, do whatever they want with, but uh, the quarterback of the football team can't do any of that. It's just such an absurd system propping up uh, by, by just lies at this point. None of this is amateur. How can you go in front of the United States Supreme Court and peddle the amateurism argument when it just the, when you see the billions of dollars flooding into collegiate athletics, um, it's it's a fraud, and and you're exploiting young people, kids, and young adults. So I, it's I was going to say, state. how how do you see that when you see the steam coming off the poo? You know, <laughs> I mean, it is just <laughs> such BS. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 crazy. Um, and and you know, maybe if the NCAA does completely lose at the Supreme Court, maybe that can open the floodgates. But like I said, my fear is once the floodgates are open, it will just be a series of of gut bad decisions made by you know, college presidents and ADs and, and things like that. that you know, we're going to lose all of our women's tennis and golf teams and wrestling teams and, and things like that. And I don't think it has to be that way. I think there needs to be a massive recalibration. If I had the answers, I would absolutely be selling them to the NCAA. And, you know, as a consultant, I don't. Um, but I know there's smart people with good ideas. And much like COVID, it doesn't have to be as bad as it is. All right. A lot of good points there. And that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. 
I want to thank Molly and Bill for joining me. They were terrific. And thank you for listening to the Scoring at Home podcast. Stay tuned as there are more episodes coming in the future. Thank you.